Also, a couple of other things to announce. Ashley and Seal, stand to your feet. Come on. Come on. Yay! Come on. Yay! Right, so grab a seat. Well, Ashley's pregnant. Oh, sorry, no. Wrong one, wrong one. No, no, sorry. I, wrong announcement. Uh, they got engaged. Isn't that great? Yeah. I just got the record straight. Ashley is not pregnant, okay? <laughs> so how cool is that? They got engaged. Uh, Ashley's our sex in the church, and uh, Seal's just a dude, so... Great guys, congratulations. Really cool. The other thing to announce is, is just uh, Phil Atmore, who was here at the beginning of the year. Um, he was from Mosaic Church in Los Angeles, and he, you remember he did kind of, kind of rap poetry kind of stuff. Really cool. Anyway, he was at the beginning here at the beginning of the year, and uh, when he was here, his father in America was diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer. It was terminal, it was untreatable he was going to die of this. That was the prognosis, the diagnosis. And so Phil Patmore, when he was here, he came on his dad's behalf to be prayed for. And that's biblical. You look in the Bible, at, for example, the centurion who came on behalf of his servant to, to, to Jesus and said, please heal my servant. So Phil came on behalf of his dad to be prayed for. So we prayed with Phil for a miracle to happen in his dad's body. And the great news is we just heard back, Bob and Ross heard back from Phil last week and the, the doctors have checked him out. There's not any trace of cancer, and it's a miracle. And they don't know what's happened. It's gone. God is truly at work doing great things. And uh, I, I want to encourage you today, whoever you are, there's nothing too big for the Almighty. Place your life in his hands. He's, he's the safest place on planet Earth. Okay, we're gonna, tonight we're going to be looking at uh, gossiping. So I've come up with a really creative title. It's Shut Up All Gossips. <laughs> the Art of Strategically Avoiding Negative People. Okay, Gossiping is one of those things in the Bible that God is really just very down on, to be honest. It's one of those things that we, we sometimes say, oh, it's not that bad. But it's one of those things that God says, no, it's horrendous. And we're going to be looking in the Bible at the whole theme of gossiping from the book of Proverbs. And hopefully it'll be a practical uh, message tonight, and it will help us, equip us. And it's a real big life skill we're going to learn tonight. It's something I'm on the journey of learning, as, as are yourselves. So let me start with a story. There was four pastors, four church leaders. You know, they, they wanted to just to get a bit of fellowship, to hang out with fellow leaders. So they all kind of met up every lunchtime once, once, a, once a week. And it was a chance for them to kind of cash up with each other and get mutual support and all that. Anyway, after a number of months, they they become all quite close, and they'd they got to the point where one of them said, "Listen, guys, let's just be honest about where we're at in life. I reckon we've all got to know each other well enough. So, I'll start. I I've got issues. I I, I have a drink problem, to be honest. And quite often, uh, when no one's looking, I'll I've got a, a bottle of whiskey under my desk and this is an issue I've got in my life. Can you pray for me? Sure, okay, thanks for sharing that, man. And then the second guy said, well, you know, just because you've been honest, I'm, I'm going to be honest as well, I've got a gambling issue, and uh, no one else knows about this, but it's been going on in the background, and I, just, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. All oh, right, thanks for con confiding in us, no problem. 
And the third guy said, well, I'm going I'm to tell you what my issue is as well. I, I've got a huge pack of cigars. Man, I, 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 when Owen's looking, i just got to have a cigar. And to be honest, it's got to the point where I've, I've several a day now, and I think I'm hooked. Then the fourth guy's sitting silently, and um, they're all kind of waiting for him. And then one of them says, come on, we've all been honest. You've got to tell us what's your issue. And he says, well, I don't know how to say this. He said, come on, brother, you can share it with us. It won't go any further than here. I said, okay. My issue is I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a compulsive gossip. I, I just... <laughs> The Carnegie Technological Institute stated that 90% of people who fail in their life's vocation fail because they cannot get along with others. And one of the biggest issues when it interpersonal relationships and getting along with other people, one of the biggest issues in the downfall of relationships has been gossip. A whole lack of respect for other people and just backbiting and that kind of mentality. It breeds so much disasters in relationships. If you trace back how many people you've broken up with or fallen out with or how many issues at work have come as a result of a loose tongue, saying the wrong thing at the wrong moment to the wrong person when the other person wasn't hearing. It's just, it creates a whole range of havoc in life. So tonight we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs at the wisdom of avoiding avoiding gossiping. You might be saying that after tonight. Proverbs chapter 26, let's start here. Let's just look in general at gossiping first. Proverbs 26 and verses 20 to 23. Fire goes out without wood. Quarrels disappear when gossiping stops. A quarrelsome person fights, starts fights, and easily, as easily as hot embers light charcoal or lights, fire lights wood. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. Smooth words may hide a wicked heart, just as a pretty glaze covers a clay pot. Here the Bible is just stating the obvious that, you know what, gossip stirs up kind of anger and conflict among people. And without gossip, conflict will cease. With gossip, it's like adding, it's adding, it's stoking up that fire. it, It causes wildfire. It causes relationships to be disastrous and it ruins people's lives. Furthermore, it, it, it says that like, gossip is like dainty morsels, right? Oh, tell me more. We want to know more. That's why we like soap opera. Well, that's why some of you like soap operas. Because we like knowing about someone else's life and kind of listening in. And a, a good illustration, I heard a story about a, a local priest. And there was a guy in his particular congregation who had been stirring up all these rumors about this priest. And it had been going on for years. Anyway, after a long period of time, this particular guy, very convicted by his gossiping, comes to the priest one day and says, listen, I realize I've been gossiping. I've been totally out of line. Um, please forgive me. And the priest said, well, thanks for coming to me. Thanks for being honest. I forgive you. On the condition that you do one thing. And the man said, what? tell me what. He said, I want you to go and get two pillowcases, feather pillows, and bring them to me. So the guy got two feather pillows, and he brought them to the priest and said, now, okay, I want you to now go into the town square. I want you to rip the pillows open and, and let the feathers go everywhere. It looked at him kind of strange. and okay. So he went to the town square, and he did what the priest said. Then he came back to the priest and said, I did what you said. And the priest said, 
Now, would you do me a favour? Could you go and collect every feather up, please? And he said, that's the effect that gossip has. You may come and apologise, but once words are out, words are out. You see, there's two things you can't get back in life, a missed opportunity and a spoken word. Once it's out, it's out. The book of Proverbs says that, that life and death are in the power of your tongue. And sometimes we think, well, that's exaggerated, surely. But no, it's not. Your words have great power. They have creative power. They can bring healing. They bring, bring life. They can bring joy. I mean, how many of you have been at the worst situation in life, and then someone has come along just at the right moment with the right thing, and it picked you up totally? Anyone had that? Right? I mean, that's a good percentage of you. Just in the worst moment in life, and someone's come just with a word that brought life. And whoa, words have power. Equally, you look at the power of words to destroy. Oh, man, there's evidence. I mean, look at your life. Look at the destruction that's gone on in your life in the past and in my life in the past. And when I analyze it, I think, man, there were words involved in those destructions. And words can so pull down other people. And it can ruin reputations. And it can kill relationships. It can cripple families. It can cripple churches. Negative words spoken out of context. Gossiping is horrendous and very, very dangerous. Dear friends in the church here were telling me a story about a church that they had attended down south in London. And this was a, a church that was going really well. It, it, it was about 700 people. It was growing very strongly. And the, the leader there, the pastor there, was a great person. Very warm-hearted, very uh, friendly. And, um, but my, my friends had, had actually talked to their pastor about the way he conducted himself. They went to him and said, listen, you need to look after yourself here. Because you're going and visiting people by yourself. You're, you're, visiting, you're spending time with women by yourself and men by yourself. Not that men's an issue, but the women thing's an issue. And, and he, not that they were concerned that he would do anything, because they trusted him. But that they were concerned what could be misconstrued by others. Or what rumors could start, and he wouldn't have a great leg to stand on. Anyway, they made that comment to him. And then lo and behold, a few months later, someone in the church said he made inappropriate advances against me. A lady in the church said this. Now, the, the tragedy was my friends who were in this church knew this lady and didn't give any credibility to what she said at all. She was kind of known for this kind of nonsense. So they didn't trust what she said, but the fact is he didn't have a leg to stand on because he hadn't done the wise thing and met in public or met in an office scenario where there's other people there you know, you've you got to do these kind of things. We put these things in place, just so you know, in the staff here. That it's, it's, it wouldn't be wholesome or right for men to meet women for prolonged periods of time by themselves. Certainly not when someone else isn't around. Not that we don't trust ourselves, but even what could be misconstrued by others. Anyway, this accusation came against this particular pastor. We're pretty certain it's not a true accusation. But nevertheless, who could say otherwise? Because he hadn't done the wise thing and covered himself. No one else was around at the time. No one, he couldn't have an alibi. And this gossip stirred up a rumor that literally killed the church. It went from 700 to 300 people. It's never recovered since. The ministers moved away, and the soul of the church has been ripped out of it. The momentum it had is no longer there. Gossiping is disastrous. Gossiping is disastrous. There's also a lesson there for ministers as well. lesson there for any leader of any company or business or is an appropriate way of living. Gossip also isn't a good gauge of truth, and you need to know this, because sometimes you will hear something from someone, and you know what? It will sound true. All right, you had that before? You hear something from someone, and you think, whoa, 
And you've got no reason to doubt it. Uh huh. It says in Proverbs 12, 16 to 18, A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. He who speaks truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceit. There is one who speaks rashly, like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You've got to make sure you be careful what you hear, because what you hear isn't always true. There are some people with a negative agenda will put a slant on what they say. We had Cameron Stout, uh, the winner of Big Brother 2003. He came to our church a couple of times a few years back. And um, I, I remember, it's funny, I had a, a 4x4 I used to drive. And uh, I remember being parked in the lane here in the 4x4, and, and Cameron Stout was in the seat beside me. And you know, you've you got a celebrity in your car, you're kind of not concentrate. So I put it into reverse and reversed into one of our leaders' cars. Anyway, that was my memory of his visit. I remember actually in the lane talking to Cameron Stout and he, uh, just talking about the celebrity lifestyle. And he was talking about how he just don't, he doesn't, whenever he reads something in, in, in one of the newspapers, uh, like typically, you know, kind of the Sun, the Daily Record, that kind of newspaper, he usually, as a rule of thumb, instantly disbelieves it. Because he knows what goes on. And he, he told me a story about him. Well, do you want me to tell you a story about Cameron Stout? Okay, here we go. He told me a story about him when he had he had been contacted by this particular lassie who was a fan of his, and she asked him would he go with her to a motor show or something like that. So he thought, well, that's perfectly innocent. So he went with her, and it was a public place. So he was with her uh, at this motor show. Anyway, when they were at the motor show, out jumped the paparazzi, taking lots of photographs, and the next thing on the sun, uh, a couple of days later, uh, was this whole article. And lo and behold, this lassie used to be Jason, you know, one of the Big Brother guys, Jason's, you won't know, you're all Christians, you don't watch Big Brother, uh, one of Jason's ex-girlfriends. So the big news was Jason's ex-girlfriend now going out with Cameron Stout. And it wasn't the case at all. He was just with her. He didn't even like her in that way. Uh, But anyway, and she had sold this story to make money. And the tabloids had just jumped on it, hook, line, and sinker. And how many people would read that and think, oh. But the fact is, you can often not trust the words of others. I find it very hard sometimes to gauge truth, even, even with myself. Sometimes I'll say things or do things, and then people will say, Peter, you said this to me, and I think, did I? <laughs> sometimes I doubt myself. Because you know what? They might be right. Our, our memory isn't always accurate, and our gauge of truth isn't always accurate. We've all, everyone's got an agenda. Everyone. Everyone's got a slant on things. We've got to be a lot more prudent than just believing hook, line, and sinker, even what we say ourselves. Because everyone's got a slant on things. The Bible puts it this way in Proverbs 18, 17. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. You know, as soon as you hear what someone says, it sounds so accurate and true, and you think, golly, is that right? They couldn't be like that, could they? And then you, if you're wise enough to get the other person's side to the story, you'll suddenly realize, golly, that wasn't true. That puts a whole different light on things. So I encourage you, don't just get grudges against people because of what you've heard about them. There's always two sides to every story. Be wise enough to realize that. In every situation, there's always two sides to every story. And there are many great churches in the city. One of them's Carubbers, and that's up in the, up in the city center there. And one of the leaders of Carubbers, I had a, a coffee with him a few months back. I mean, Destiny Church in Edinburgh has been going only 10 years, so we're relatively new in the city. 
And only in the last four or five years have we kind of come onto everyone's radar because we've, we've grown quite considerably. And before that, we were just one of the many smaller churches. And um, this particular leader at Carruthers came to me and said, you know, we were meeting about a whole lot of other things, but he said to me, I, I asked him, you know, uh, what have you heard about Destiny? And he said that, you know, someone came to him from Edinburgh and said, oh, Destiny Church, they always try and steal people from other churches. Right? And he said, you're joking. See, what guy? He went and investigated that claim. Good on him. He went and asked the questions and did a bit of research into us. Found out it totally wasn't the case. In fact, totally the opposite. Our agenda, 100%, is to here to reach the people who don't go to church. That's it. Now, some people come from other churches to here, but equally some people go from this church to other churches, right? So that happens. That happens in a big city. But our agenda is not that. Whatever we market, whatever we go for, whatever we spend our money on is to reach the unchurched. That's our passion. And, he, and he, he discovered that. And he went back to the people who said that to him and said, actually, I've done my research and you're wrong. You should stop spreading rumors like that. I thought, that's the way to do it. That's brilliant. That's absolutely genius. That's integrity. It's getting two sides to every story. It's finding out, getting a real gauge of wisdom. Here's another thing about gossip. Gossip is actually an expression of hatred. Well, that's quite extreme. It's certainly not a loving thing to do. It says in Proverbs 12, so Proverbs 11, verse 12, He who despises his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding keeps silent. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. It's interesting that it puts in, in almost in one breath, it talks about someone who despises his neighbor, and I think it goes on to refer to that same individual and says that such a person is a talebearer who reveals secrets. You see, if you don't like someone, you're going to want to say things about them that put them in a bad light. It certainly isn't an expression, isn't an expression of love. It is an expression of hatred. Errol Wilson said, Gossip is when you hear something you like about someone you don't. Gossip is an expression of insecurity. Typically, people who gossip, the reason they gossip is because they want to put others down to make them feel good about themselves. So if you're always talking about others and everyone else's fault, everyone else's faults and mistakes and shortcomings, then it gets everyone's eyes off you and your mistakes and shortcomings. Usually it's an expression of insecurity. Or they like being the center of attention so that everyone can gather around them and get the latest news. And it gives them a reason to be part of the in crowd because, oh, tell me what's been happening. And it gives them that sense of, I feel good about myself because I've got all these friends. Yeah, great friends you've got. We like to justify our gossip. Here's a little slide that helps illustrate this. We're not gossiping, we're networking. Uh, I apologize, ladies. I do apologize. There's no men on that picture. I don't know why that would be, but uh, I do apologize. I'm sure it's a 50-50 split on this one. But, uh... but, you know, sometimes, I mean, as a pastor, this is a very easy one to slip into, or any leader in the church is very easy to slip into. Someone comes to me with a concern a pastoral concern. Or, could you pray about this? <laughs> you, and what you do is you gossip and tell me to pray about it, right? That's, that's the only difference. And this is a very, very subtle one, and it happens in Christian church circles. And you've got to be careful. Because people will speak ill of another person under the guise of a pastoral concern. So here's how I kind of deal with this, or I try to deal with this. And I, I don't always get it right, but I do try and deal with it this way. Here's the, here's the issue. If you want to know someone about something or tell someone about something, 
Are you, the question is, are you genuinely concerned about the other person? Do you have a heart full of love for that person you're about to tell someone about? Okay? First gauge. Check your heart. Or you just want to tell the news. Check your heart. Are you genuinely concerned when you're sharing a concern with another about someone else? Is it out of love? And the other question is, are you willing to do anything about it? You know, don't, don't just come and tell me about someone you've got, there's, there's a, you've got a concern over and ask me to pray. Are you willing to go and talk to that person and help them through that issue? Okay? These are two good gauges as to whether or not you've crossed the line into gossip or not. Typically what I try and do is I try and typically ask, before you tell me this, if I sense someone's going to tell me a concern about someone in the church, I usually say, whoa, 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 whoa hold fire. Shush. Could you just confirm here, before you tell me this person's name, tell me the situation. Don't tell me the person's name. Just t- describe the situation to me, and then I'll tell you whether or not, as the pastor, I need to know the person's name or not. Right? So I do that first, and I hear the situation, and I say, you know what? I don't need to know who that person is. I think what you should do is you should just go and talk to them and resolve that between the two of you. That's how I try and deal with it. If they have to tell me the person's name as part of, their, you know, that someone's hurt them or something like that, and I need to know as the pastor, or one of the leaders in the church needs to know about a situation, then my advice would always be this. I would always say to them, a little caveat, if you tell me who this person is, then listen, if you don't go and talk to them, I will. Right? In other words, we're not going to do this in secret. We're not going to cover this up and have some whispering session here. We're going to get this out either way. So you have to be aware if you mention a name to me, I'm going to go and talk to that person if you don't. And if you talk to them, I'll ask you to come back. And this is the big important thing. If, if, you, if you, per chance, hear a bit of gossip about someone else, that someone's got a, so-and-so's got a problem with so-and-so, then you say to that person, you need to go and put that right. That's good advice. You go and have, talk, have that talk with them. Don't talk to me about it. But now that you know about it, do you know what happens? If you've heard gossip, you now have a slanted view of this person. You've got tinted glasses about this person. Now, your impression of that person might be completely wrong. But it's there. It is totally there. You can't deny it. So what you do is this. You say, all right, you go and talk to that person. You need to put that right. But then after you talk to that person, you need to come back to me and tell me the outcome. Because otherwise, they've just dumped on you a seed of a thought about that person that you don't want to be carrying. You see, here's, here's the rule of thumb. The circle of restitution needs to be as big as the circle of offense. If you've involved five people in your gossiping and then things have been put right between you and the person you had a problem with, then you need to involve five people in letting them know everything's fine and you were in the wrong for gossiping in the first place. The circle of restitution needs to be as big as the circle of offense. So put things right. And here's, here's another important point. Gossips reap what they sow. The Bible says in Galatians 6 and verse 7, a man reaps what he sows. And I'm convinced it works for women too. Whatever you sow in life, you will reap. You will reap. If you sow gossip, I guarantee you, people will be gossiping about you. Guaranteed. In fact, you deserve it. In fact, I'll talk about you. You you sow, you're going to reap. Fact. What you sow in life, you will reap in life. That's a, a spiritual law from God. Will Rogers said, the only time people dislike gossip is when you gossip about them. And it's very true. Angie, my wife, is a primary teacher. She, uh, she teaches on the other side of town here. 
she's great. Angie's amazing. And she's got a really good attitude towards life. And she typically gets on really well with people. And as a result, people come to her with their concerns. But they, in kind of staff rooms and things, there's a lot of chit-chat goes on. Angie typically doesn't get involved in that chit-chat. She will never contribute to gossip. She won't endorse putting someone else down when they're not there to kind of stand up for themselves. She doesn't get involved in that to the best. She feels very uncomfortable around that. And you know what? People know that. At the same time, she's not holier than thou and judgmental of others who do that. She's just a friend to others. But you know what? People know that Angie doesn't get involved in gossip. So guess what? Guess who people go to when they're going through crisis in life? Right? Ah, great idea. I'll go to the big gossip. (laughs) I don't think so. You're not going to go to the gossip who was your buddy. You're going to go to the person who didn't participate in that. And as a result, Angie has lots of people coming to her and talking to her about their problems or challenges in life. And why? Because they know it's safe with her. The fact is, if you're a gossip, you're going to be gossiped about. What you sow is what you will reap. And I want to encourage you, if you hear gossip, bear this in mind, okay? This could just as well be about you. And if someone was speaking about you behind your back, what would you want to do? You'd want to be there and stand up for yourself, wouldn't you? So how about doing to others as you would have done to yourself? So when you're in a situation where someone's talking about someone else to you, why not stand up for the other person who's not there to stand up for themselves? How about that? That's a great way to do things. It will stop them gossiping instantly. Say, wait a minute here. This person's not here to answer for themselves. How do I know what you're saying is true? You know, I, I would want to be there to answer for myself. So what you sow is what you reap. Do to others as you'd have done to yourself. If you wouldn't want someone speaking about you, then don't tolerate someone else speaking to you about someone else. Stand up for that person. The lead cow in Barnyard in, from, from the Disney film said the, the, the father's cow to the son cow said, which I thought was a very poignant point. I'll translate it for you. He said, son, it takes a strong man to stand up for himself, but it takes a stronger man to stand up for others. Wow. Mm. I remember interrupting. My friend was gossiping to me about someone else who I respected. And I remember interrupting him, stopping him dead in his tracks and saying, listen, I don't want to hear that gossip. Get your act together. And he took, he, my friend took real offense at that. <laughs> he said, you can't tell me not to gossip. Well, I did. I'm not going to tolerate that. That's nonsense. That's not what friendship's about. Okay, what does God think about gossip? Okay. Here's a pretty firm verse from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. In other words, you're about to hear a list of six things which tick God off. But the seventh thing, he goes ballistic about. Okay, here's the list. Haughty eyes. Now, remember, haughty is naughty. (laughs) Haughty eyes, that's kind of proud, looking down on everyone else. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utter lies, and the seventh which is an abomination, which is far greater than hatred, an abomination. I mean, absolutely, utterly, totally detestable. It's a stench in the sight of God. Listen to it. 
one who spreads strife among brothers. Now, look at the list, folks. In that list, you have murderers, liars, people who plot and do evil. They're the stuff that God hates, murderers included. But on that list, seventhly, the thing that's an utter abomination to your gods is gossip. Someone who stirs up dissension between one other people. I mean, it's such an abomination in the sight of gods. God gets seriously ticked off by this. Why? Because God places massive value on community. God places huge value on community. Proverbs 16:28 says, "A perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer separates intimate friends." You see, God places such great value on unity, on community, on people being together in life. You see, let's, let's take church, for example. The Bible teaches that we're, in Psalm 133, it says, where brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, there God commands blessing. Three of you know the Bible, that's great. God commands blessing. And do you know what? If, 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 if we're united, God will bless us. Do you know why we've grown as a church? One of the great reasons is we've been united. We haven't been squabbling, we haven't been fighting. We typically have a good attitude towards each other and towards leadership. And as a result, <clears throat> God blesses us. But if there's disunity, if there's gossiping, if there's backbiting, do you know what? That church will die on its feet. Hey, and do you know what God's interested in planet Earth? The church. You know what? If, you, if, you're, if you're against the church, if you're causing division in the church, God, sunshine, is against you. He's against you. Seriously, you, you hacked him off right there. You're worse than a murderer in the sight of God. Pretty tough stuff. You see, when, when we're united, when the body of Christ is united, it reveals Jesus to the world. When the body of Christ works together as one, then we reveal the love of God in our city. We operate with such great power and such great glory. It brings him honor. But you know what stench is in the sight of God when we're divided and gossiping and backbiting and backstabbing? It's horrendous. It's an abomination in the sight of God. And if you've been involved in that, seriously, you need to get your act together and repent because God is against you. You are, you are setting yourself against the purpose of God, and the Bible says you're an abomination to God. So you need to deal with your gossiping. And listen, if you've been gossiping, not, not just within this church, but if you've been gossiping about other church leaders in this city, you need to equally deal with that issue. That's a big issue in the sight of God. It's a serious issue in the sight of God. You need to deal with yourself. Get your act together and show some respect. If you've got a problem with someone, have the courage, your weakling, to go and talk to them. All right? Stop backbiting. Stop gossiping about them. Repent. Nothing's, otherwise, you're, you've got an enemy called the Almighty. You don't want to have him against you. It's an abomination in the sight, so deal with it. And um, it's, it's interesting. The Apostle Paul, in his former life, he, he, was, he went under the name Saul, and he was an aggressive guy. He was a Jewish, zealous Jew, and he thought that he was serving God by kind of trying to eradicate the church. He thought this whole Jesus movement thing was anti-God. He thought this was against the plan of God. So he was doing everything he could to wipe out Christians, to wipe out the church. And he was doing that thinking he was serving God. Similar to kind of Islamic militants today who are thinking they're serving God by killing others. The Apostle Paul was that. He was doing that in the name of God. He was killing Christians, imprisoning Christians, and trying to eradicate the church. Anyway, he was on his way to a place called Damascus, and his plan was this. He was going to imprison Christians, kill Christians, and 
take men and women away from the children, kicking and screaming, and trying to eradicate. He was ravaging the church. That's what the Bible says. He ravaged the church. And on the way to Damascus, Jesus came square on to him. Acts 9, verses 3 to 4. As he neared Damascus on the journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. I mean, this is heavenly interrogation here. What is your name and number? He fell to the grounds. Right? Why do you think he fell to the grounds? Well, Jesus decked him, right? Uh, he fell to the grounds, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And this is where Saul had this encounter with Jesus, which kind of converted him. Subtle evangelistic technique there, Jesus. And he was thoroughly converted after this moment, and Saul changed teams. He said, I've been fighting the wrong battle here. I should be on the Jesus team. And he did. He, he turned to be a great apostle. He went on to write a huge chunk of the New Testament. Awesome. But here Jesus comes to Saul and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Saul was persecuting the church. Saul was taking out the Christians. Saul was trying to ravage the purpose of God, the, the church, the Christians. But you know what? Jesus took that personally. And if you gossip and you backbite, you are personally offending Jesus. If you are criticizing his church, if you're pulling down his people, if you're speaking ill of his leaders, you are, you are offensive personally to Jesus Christ. You're, you're spitting in his face. You're persecuting him personally. He takes it personally. It seriously hacks him off. So you need to change teams really quickly. And the fact is, I have seen this. Satan, who is our arch enemy, his greatest way of attacking the church, I have noticed so often, is gossip. He will stir up a little bit of bitterness in someone's heart towards someone else, and before they know it, they become an instrument through which Satan can infiltrate the church and undermine the church and stop the good thing that God's trying to do. That's why it says in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up in you, causes trouble by which many are defiled. In other words, if you allow a root of bitterness in your life, guess what? It will affect those around you. You've allowed something into your heart that shouldn't have been there. And it's devastating for churches. In the Vietnam War, the Viet Cong often didn't shoot to kill. When they shot the Americans and those fighting, they would try and wounds, shoot to wounds. And the reason they shoot to wounds is because they knew if they could get them wounded in the battlefield, the Americans being the Americans would go back and try and rescue their comrades. And when they went back to try and rescue their comrades, then the Viet Cong would take pot shots at those trying to rescue them. You see, Satan's technique is actually just to wounds. It's to create dissension. It's to stir things up one against the other. And the, the damage that causes is colossal. So you've got to protect. You've got to protect this house. You've got to protect the churches in the city from this kind of nonsense going on. You must protect. It's like a, an electrical circuit. If you have an electrical circuit... And at any point in that circuit, there is disunity. There is a disconnection going on. Do you know what? That whole machine won't operate. It can kill the whole thing. Rodney Stout. Uh, James, are you here tonight? I haven't seen James. James is one of our cell group leaders. James, his dad is called Rodney. And he's the assistant pastor at Charlotte Chapel. And, and Rodney Stout is a classic quote. He said that the, the church is only a funeral or two away from a revival. I quite like that. 
Think about it. Let's get a few folks out here, and we'll do great. <laughs> but it's so true. Matthew twenty six thirty one. This is what the Bible says. Strike the shepherds, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And Satan knows very well that's the principle. So he will try and stir up dissension against leaders. So you might feel, you might start getting attitudes towards your cell group leader or towards your team leader or towards myself or one of the other leaders in the church. And, um, and before you know it, you've got attitudes and you're speaking ill. And man, you've been used by the wrong team, folks. You need to get in the right team again. Deal with it. There are four main bones in every organization. The wish bones, wishing someone would do something about the problem. The jaw bones, doing all the talking but little else. The knuckle bones, those who knock everything. And the backbones, those who carry the brunt of the loads and do most of the work. Be backbone in the church. Not a knucklehead who's just knocking everything. Does God gossip? Very rarely. Because God's way isn't to reveal your problems to someone else. Do you know that? I've got tons of problems. You've got tons of problems. Don't look at me funny. It's called being a human being, right? Tons of wonky attitudes, tons of off-track thoughts, tons of pride, tons of arrogance, tons of all sorts of nonsense going on in our lives, right? Life's a battle, and, that's, and you're walking with God, and you're trying your best to please Him and serve Him in private and in public. That's, that's the life we live, okay? But God doesn't go revealing our secrets, our issues to other people, does He? You ever notice that? You ever been around a really spiritual person, and you're really praying, I hope they don't know anything about me. <laughs> Who's had that? Ah, uh, I see. Okay. Do you know what? God will not humiliate you. On a very rare occasion, he will. But it's usually at the end of a very long process of trying to get your attention. Did you know that? Did you know that? That's awesome. God knows everything about you. God knows stuff about you that you don't even know about yourself. God knows your true motives. Even, even though you think you've got pre-motives, God really knows your motives. Okay? And do you know what? He doesn't go talking to others about you. He doesn't go ex- exposing you in your areas of weakness. Did you know that? God's a great God. And he could, he could easily do that. And uh, do you know what? On occasions, he has done that. And the only occasions when he does that is in order to totally rescue you because you've gone too far. And the way God deals with it is this. You've got a conscience in your heart, and God will prick your conscience. Come on, deal with this. Deal with this. Deal with this. So what you do is you ignore your conscience. Then you pick up the Bible every so often. Man, that verse is everything about what I'm doing. No, I can't read that. Read another book. No way this is saying it too. Stuff the Bible. And then had that. Okay, reluctant hands going there. We have it, right? Because God speaks through his Bible. It's an inspired book. So what we do is we put the Bible on the shelf, right? Stuff that. So you go to church in the past, I've preached this in the issue. No! Yeah, man, you're trying to escape it. How many have that? Be honest. How many have had that? Right? I have too. My hand's up. I, you turn up at church, and man, how did he know? Or how does she know? And it comes out, and it's just, man, it's God's, God is totally speaking to you about this. Then only after a long process of God totally trying to get your attention will God get someone who truly cares for you and say, listen, this person's got an issue. Go and speak to them. And I've had that sometimes. God has spoken to me about someone else and I've had to go to them and say, listen, God's revealed this to me. What's going on? 
And usually, instead of bringing condemnation, it brings total release. It brings everything out in the open. It's safe because it's not gone any further than us two. And they're free, they're forgiven, they're moving forward. Do you know that? Our God is a gracious God. God's not into gossip. He's into you. He loves you. He loves you more than you'll ever know. I don't know everyone here tonight. But the reality is, I know this. God knows you. And he's been chasing you for many years. He loves you more than you would know. And sometimes what we do offends him. But he nevertheless totally is into you. He loves you. He's got a really good plan for you. God Almighty cares for you. Come to him tonight. Don't run away from him anymore. Come to him. Run to him. It's interesting. When God speaks to you about others, typically it's encouragement. Did you know that? It's called prophecy. This is what the Bible says about prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14.3 The one who prophesies speaks to men for their, let's t- say it after me, upbuilding and constructive spiritual progress and encouragement and consolation. When God will give you a bit of gossip about someone else, do you know what it will be? It will be a prophecy. You know what a prophecy will be? Encouragement, exhortation, comfort, consolation. It will build you up. So when God's going to speak to me about you, typically it's going to be because he loves you, he wants to bolster you. You don't need anyone telling you your mistakes. Usually you know them because God's already told you them. Bertrand Russell said, no one gossips about other people's secret virtues. It's true, isn't it? But God does. That's the difference between us and God. Okay, how do you deal with gossip? Step one, right? And this is what I would call courageous living. Step one. You see, we have this thing called a covenant going on. When you become a believer, you and God enter into an agreement. The Bible calls it a covenant. And this covenant, it's like a marriage. When I got married to my wife, I made a commitment to her, and she made a commitment to me. And we've decided not to break that commitment till death do us part. And God, when I became a Christian, that's what God did with me. It wasn't just about me making a commitment to God. God Almighty made a commitment to me. That's covenant. It's unbreakable. It's more than just a handshake. All right, buddy. It's a total, firm, unbreakable agreement. I'm in that with God. I mean, that makes me incredibly secure in life. So why, again, let me throw this out. Tonight, if you've never made that commitment to God, get connected. It's the best. It's not, yeah, sure, you're making a commitment to him. Sure, there's responsibilities. Sure, you've got to give it your all. Absolutely. But you know what? He is totally committed to you. He's giving you his all. He's dedicated to you like nothing else. Having the Almighty on your side like that, man, you can't lose. It's the best. But this covenant, this relationship with God, isn't just some vertical covenant. It also is a horizontal covenant. Did you know that? The Bible's got tons of verses about this. Jesus says, okay, the first commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, and minds. And the second is love your neighbor. In one breath, Jesus says love God. In the next breath, Jesus says love your neighbor. Why? Because the vertical and the horizontal are linked. It's like the cross. It's got a vertical and a horizontal element. So the covenant is the same. Our relationship with God is great, but also it has an implication on how we are with others. The Apostle John's put it this way. If you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a hypocrite. And he went on to say, how can you say you love God who you don't see, but you hate the one who you do see? Inconsistent, not true. See, the Bible teaches that if you have a love for God, it must have an implication on your love for others. Otherwise, we question you whether or not you really love God. 
If you say you love God and you've got all these attitudes towards other people and you have anger and you have bitterness and hatred towards others, then I seriously question whether or not indeed you love God. Because this love for God will overflow in love and generosity towards others. This is important. So we need to have courageous living. Some Christians are like, well, it's just me and Jesus. No, no, it's not just you and Jesus. It's you, Jesus, and his people. And you're commanded to love them. I wonder why it's a command, eh? Maybe it's because we needed to be told, you need to love them. What, them? Yes, you need to love them. Okay. But when you realize how much God loves you with all your hang-ups, then you'll figure out it's actually not that hard to love others with their hang-ups. You see, when you realize how much mercy has been extended towards you, it won't be hard for you to extend mercy towards someone else. I honestly, truly and honestly, I have so many people come to me with so many massive issues, right? I've had people um, who've done all sorts of horrendous crimes towards other people come to me and confess them, okay? You know, I can believe totally that God will forgive them. Totally. And I, I love them as brothers and sisters. I totally love them. Do you know the only way I can do that? Rather than getting all aggro with them because I know what they've done, and some of the stuff that's been done is horrendous. Believe you me. Do you know how? Because I know how much God has forgiven me. Honestly. <laughs> Man, I'm so forgiven. Because I know how bad a sinner I am. I'm just, I, can't, I can't thank him enough every day. How could I hold a grudge against someone else? Look what he's done for me. So God encourages us to have courageous living. Jesus gave us two, two verses in Matthew's Gospel, both in Matthew's Gospel. And these are key verses when it comes to resolving conflict. Listen to this. Think about these verses as we're reading. Really, engage your brains, folks. Okay, engage your brains, right? I know you haven't had to do that all weekends or for several years, but do engage your brains now. Lord, help them to engage their brains. Matthew 8, 18, verses 15 to 17. This is what Jesus says. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between you two. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. If you will not listen, take two others along with you, so that every matter may be established in the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a a pagan and a tax collector. Now, you'd have to do a bit of research on that, how to treat a pagan and a tax collector. I'm I'm sure there's some encyclopedia, a bit of advice on that. How do you treat a pagan and a tax collector? All right, treat you like that, okay? So you've got to learn how to do that if it gets to that point. Matthew, okay, let's, before we move on, let's just focus on this for a moment. Jesus said, if, you, if, if your brother has sinned against you, okay? If your brother has sinned against you, okay? I'm looking for, okay, George and Pete, let's hear for our willing volunteers. <laughs> just stand here, guys. If your brother has sinned against you, Jesus says, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. All right? So here Peter has been sinned against by George. I'm not going to tell you what George does. I'm not going to tell you what George does. But it was bad. So let's not go any further than that. I mean, look, at, look, look at what it's done to him. Look, oh, look at it. Touch on your face. Look at it. Right? Totally messed him up. Big style. Right? So George did something to Pete. Now, the, what's the Bible advice? What should Pete do? Talk to George. Very good. Well done. You have engaged your brains. Well done. So Pete must talk to George about the problem. So Pete will deal with the problem. And listen, hopefully George will say, you know what? 
I shouldn't have done that. Forgive me. And then people say, cool. Give me a hug. <laughs> and then they forgive each other and the sun sets and they kind of disappear over the horizon. And um, it's, it's just awesome. It's just awesome. Brilliant. Beautiful. Beautiful. So that, 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 this, this is what, do you guys want to demonstrate this? No, no. Okay, no, no, it's okay. No, no. Um, so that's, that's the first bit of advice. Now, the Bible doesn't say if Peter has a problem with George that he should come talk to me. Okay? And then talk to Donna about it and talk to Sean and just kind of mention it to everyone. By the way, do you see what George did to me? Right? That's where the problem comes. If you just did what Jesus said, it solves the problems. Peter's got a problem with George, so Peter talks to George. I mean, it's a revolutionary concept. Right? But it's true. And if we just did that, I mean, it's pretty courageous to do that, isn't it? You ever gone to someone and said, I've got a problem with what you did? It's not the easiest thing. It's easier to talk to someone else about what they did, isn't it? Isn't that easier? Right? It's actually hard to go to say to someone, what you did offended me. That's kind of hard to do. But that's what the Bible says we should do. It's called courageous living. Now, do you know what? Sometimes it'll just be nothing. Like, George sneezed near Pete and a bit of gob went on Pete, right? So Pete's thinking, but Jesus said if my brother sins against me, I should go. I so he's carrying this huge grudge, right? He's walked this, right the snotter off and he's saying, I've got to go and I've got to address this issue, right? Do you know what? There are certain issues in life where you just got to think, oh, wash it off and get over it. You know what I'm saying? It's not a big issue, right? Don't lose sleep over it. But some people, they let little things become big things. That's not what Jesus is saying, okay? See little things, forget them. Stuff it. Get a bigger life. Move on and just get on with stuff, right? Don't mention it again. Love them, right? That's what you do with little stuff. But it's talking about the sins. I mean, real sin. I mean, they've truly, it's not just like personality clash. It's talking about sin, okay? The brother has sinned against the brother. Not just like, didn't like the hairstyle or something. It's, it's a bit deeper. <laughs> um, the next bit of advice is, you guys okay hanging around for a minute? Look at the body language, see it? Look at the body language. Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24. This is Jesus' second bit of advice. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, Peter, offer your gift at the altar. <laughs> and they remember that your brother has something against you. Okay? Leave your gift at the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Okay, scenario number two. Here we have Peter offering a gift at the altar. <laughs> and as he's offering his worship to God, he remembers, George has something against me. Okay, why would George have something against him? Because Peter has sins. Okay, why would George have something against him? Because Peter sinned against George. Okay, so Jesus has just given us two scenarios. Scenario number one is that George has sinned against Peter. And who does Jesus say he should put it right? Is a clue. Peter. Scenario number two is this, that Peter is offering his gift at the altar and there remembers that George has something against him. Who's done the sinning? Who should put it right? Oh no. You know what? Whether it's their fault or your fault, the Bible says, you put it right. He's painted us into a total corner. The buck stops here. The buck stops here. Whether you have offended someone else or whether they have offended you, who does Jesus say should put it right? 
you. Thanks, guys. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. Like, just kind of keep the peace. Don't rock the boat. Don't mention anything. We've got all these issues, but we just don't say anything. We just kind of pretend it's not there, right? That's peacekeeping. That helps no one, right? The UN peacekeeping force were, were in Yugoslavia while genocide was taking place right in front of them, and they didn't intervene. See, peacekeeping isn't interventionalist, but peacemaking is. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Sometimes you need to have a storm before there's the calm. Sometimes you just need to talk about it and thrash it out a little bit and then deal with the issue and then move on properly. Not brushing things under the carpet, but dealing with the issues. So whether you have sinned against someone else or whether they sinned against you, according to Jesus Christ, the problem stops stops with you because the reality is you can't make their choices for them. You could be sitting for three years waiting for them to come and apologize and they may not have even known that they offended you. So get off your rusty dusty and you put it right. The buck stops here. You've got to do something. You've got to put it right. And that's just complete wisdom, I believe, from Jesus Christ. Um, you know what? I, personally, I'm encouraged in a kind of sadistic sort of way when I get an email of, from someone who's got a problem with me. Oh, wonderful. Another email. Great. Do you know, what, do you know why I like that? Because they talk to me about it. They didn't talk about me to others. They talked to me about it. It's brilliant. Not always comfortable. And you know what happens when you talk to someone about, like, Peter, I had a problem with what you said. You said the word bogey in church. You're right, I did. You know, you could, you could email me about that if you wanted, if that was a real big issue for you. <clears throat> On the other hand, just get over it. Anyway. <clears throat> but you know you could, you could drop me that email, and do you know what? It, it would really bless me, because you're all going to do it now. But, <clears throat> but do you know what? It would really bless me, because you didn't talk about me, you talked to me. And sometimes it's uncomfortable to hear things. But you know what? If, if, if someone emails me, there's one of two things can happen here. If I'm humble enough to hear it, everyone can learn. I sit down with someone who's got a problem with me, and one of two things has happened. Either they've had a big misunderstanding, which if I explain it to them, they'll say, all right, oh, that's okay. Or I hear what they say and I think, do you know what? You're absolutely right. I'm going to change in that area. Either way, win-win. Either way, we've got a better friendship. Either way, I could potentially be wiser for it. So by not telling someone about the issue, sometimes actually you're denying them the opportunity to become a better person, to grow. Let's have enough humility. But equally, let's not be so nitpicky and like, oh, we've got a problem, we've got to talk to someone. Like, you're always talking to people about problems, right? Everyone will be walking around, jumping around church. Who's going to talk to me next? This is not what Jesus is suggesting. Get over the little stuff. But when it comes to the big stuff, don't you gossip. Go talk to them. That's called courageous living. Okay? Step two, as Jesus said, you know what? If you talk to the person, they don't hear, don't hear you. You've got to go talk to someone else. That's when it might be wise to come to a leader in the church or your cell group leader or someone like that and say, listen, this is the issue. I've talked to them myself. They're not listening. Can you come with me? So you sit down, three of you together. You've got an independent party there who can kind of adjudicate it, and then you can hopefully resolve the situation. We've had to do that on a number of occasions, and some of you have been involved in that. And it's good, and it's healthy, and it's peaceful, and it, it, hopefully from then on you can just move forward, move on, get over it. Let's, let's walk now. But sometimes it gets to the point where the sin is quite serious and there's no 
resolve. And then you've got to treat them according to the Bible like pagans and tax collectors. Let me, let me just talk about disassociation. There's very rare occasions that someone can be excommunicated from a church. But do you know one of the issues that someone can be excommunicated for is divisiveness and gossip. That's how serious it is in the sight of God. That's how damaging it is to church. Divisiveness and gossip. It says in Proverbs 20, 19, he who goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. The Bible encourages you, don't associate with gossips. And do you know what? It's not talking about in your staff room. It's talking about in the church. It's people who are claiming to be Christians, but they're living worse than the world. They're backbiting. They've got full of bitterness. They're aggro. Do you know what? Don't hang out with Christians like that. They're not the kind of, that's not, that is what the sort of stuff that gives Christianity a bad name. It's total hypocrisy. Don't associate with it. I remember when we started the church, there was a guy who started coming along and he was constantly criticizing other church leaders in the city. And I got to the point where I said, listen, man, you're not welcome in this church anymore. And uh, so we went from uh, three people to two people in the church. It was great. It was that small at the time. You know, we went from about 15 to kind of 14 people. I said, you're no longer welcome in the church. You're constantly back, backbiting other church leaders in the city. And do you know what? He left. And I think, praise the Lord. Because we don't need people like that around. That, that, that would have hindered us growing. That kind of attitude. Because if he talks to me about other leaders, guess who he's going to be talking about to them? Me. It's nonsense. Proverbs 22, verse 10. Drive out the scoffer, and contention will go. Even strife and dishonor will cease. There are times when negative people leave a church, and it's actually a really good thing. And when they leave, do you know what happens? Peace comes. We've had that in the church. We've had people who have been actually, on the surface, they seem very Christian, but in their heart, they're carrying negativity. They criticize. They, they're negative about others. They, they pull other people down. And sometimes it's very, very subtle. Sometimes it's incredibly subtle. And actually, that's the most dangerous ones. As they leave the church, the church goes into peace. So you've got to be very careful not to associate with negative people. And cut, stop them dead in the tracks. Do you know what I want to say is this. You might be a person who's very pernickety. You might be a person who's got an attention and an eye for detail. You might be a person who's almost a perfectionist. You like excellence. You like things done really well. Okay? Let me say to you, that is a strength. But there's a very fine line, okay? That can become a weakness very easily if you don't manage that strength. That, that's a gift from God that you have an eye for detail. That's a gift from God. And we need people like you. But if you're not careful and if you have a bad attitude, that can quite easily slip into becoming critical, constantly knocking everything, constantly being bickery about every little detail, and it doesn't help anyone. But if you can take that as a strength and use it as a way of helping the church develop, helping others grow around you, and getting your own sleeves rolled up and doing something about the problems rather than just talking about it, then do you know what? You have a huge strength, and we need people like you. Some of our, our leadership team in the church here, some of the senior leaders, are people who are like that. They're people who've got an eye for detail. They see details like I wouldn't. My wife's like that. My wife, um, you know, her be best strength is that she's a, a detailed person. I'm not, but I need her totally. So listen, if, if, you, if you find yourself critical, if you find yourself a perfectionist, it might be actually you've got an incredible gift from God. Just make sure you keep a good attitude, otherwise you can move greatly into error. So let me conclude here. 
God wants you to be part of a great community. Every one of us have been put off by negative Christianity. There are so many people out there who have given Christianity a bad name. I mean, maybe some of you in this room have said, you know what, I wash my hands of church and Christians because of the way they are. They're a bunch of hypocrites. It's true, we are. That's why you're so welcome. You fit in just fine. To be honest, we're all hypocrites. But the difference is, the hypocrites here are hopefully trying to do something about hypocrisy. That's why we come every week. I mean, you wouldn't come to sit through sermons like this if you didn't want to deal with your hypocrisy. You know, we're on a journey. Every one of us is hypocrites. A hypocrite is just some, someone who simply has a set of values but doesn't always live by them. Right? I'm that person. I'm a hypocrite. Guilty. But that's why you're so welcome. And I want to encourage you. God wants you to be part of a church community. Running away from people, running away from church, being an isolated individual is not your answer. Your answer is courageous living. Your answer is knowing that actually we're all on a journey. And you see, the church would be great if it wasn't for people. But thank God for people. And it makes, it makes church messy. It makes church rough at the edges. And you know what? You'll be offended here. In fact, if you haven't been offended at church, it's a, probably a sign that you haven't been wrong, around long enough. You need to hang around a wee bit longer. You will get offended, I promise you. Welcome to the church. I promise you, there will be times where I'll offend you. Other people in the church will offend you. Rarely, very rarely will people mean to offend you. That's usually the case. But we, I'm just hoping that you'll hopefully be equipped by some of the things we shared tonight not to go run away and take offense, thinking, oh, I've got to go to another church. This church is rubbish, full of hypocrites. Well, guess what? When you hypocrite arrive in the next church, you will also find that you, like them, are hypocrites. Because churches are full of people, and no one is perfect. And some churches are doing it better than others. I agree. But let's be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Instead of bickering and backbiting and just running away, why not be part of God's community? Why not work this thing out? Why not be involved with courageous living? So I invite you, commit yourself to the church here. Become part of the church. Make this your home. Don't run away. Don't be isolated. There's no such thing. There's nothing more unchristian than an isolated Christian. God wants us not only to be connected with him, but connected with each other. Partly for the sake of the city. Because when we do get it together, when we are united, the impact we can make together with your gifts and your gifts and my gifts all working together, massive. We can change a city. We can change a continent. We can do great things for the glory of God. So work this one through. So I want to encourage you, come to Jesus. Connect with the church. Okay, let's pray. Take a moment to pray back your own response. There might be a few things that we've said tonight that, you know what, stick out in your mind and you think, you know what, I need to work on that. Then just take a moment right now just to pray and talk to God about those things. God, we love you. God, we thank you so much for the wisdom from Proverbs. Our prayer, God, is that we will be a church community where we are courageous livers. We truly do not avoid issues, but we walk this walk. That when we have a problem with each other, we're honest enough to talk about it. And equally, we're humble enough to hear it and to change God, I pray we wouldn't be those who are full of pride, thinking that everyone else is the problem and that we've got no problems. I pray that we would be teachable.
I pray we'd be humble. And that God, through being in a church, God, we would change. Through being in a church environment, we would grow and be shaped and become more like the people you want us to be. I want to thank this wonderful bunch of people tonight, God. Love them to bits. Know you do too, God. And I pray, God, tonight you'd help us to live out what we've heard tonight. God, I ask you, Father, for anyone here tonight who doesn't yet know you, I ask you, Father, that you'd meet with them. You'd connect with them right now. Okay, just keep your eyes closed. I'm just going to give you the opportunity just right now. If you're here and um, you know in your heart that you and God aren't connected, the truth is this, that God sent Jesus to die on a cross and pay a price so that you could be forgiven, that you could have a whole new start. Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive right now. And God wants to be part of your life. It does involve commitment. Nothing good comes free. But this is a commitment worth making. Commit yourself to following him. Give your life to Jesus and plant yourself in a good church where you can grow in your faith. So I'm going to give you that opportunity now. If that's you and you want to make a commitment to God just now, then I invite you to pray this prayer with me just now. I'm going to pray a line of the prayer and you repeat it after me, one line at a time. Just quietly pray this under your breath. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your amazing love for me. Thank you, God, even though I am a sinner, you love me. And Jesus, thank you that you love me that much that you died for me. You shed your blood on that cross. You became the sacrifice for my sins so that I could be forgiven for all the wretchedness in my life. I ask you right now to forgive me. Thank you. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. I give you first place in my life. I pledge my allegiance to you. I commit myself totally to you. Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life for the rest of my life. Thanks, God, for hearing my prayer and accepting me this evening. Amen. Okay, keep your eyes closed for a moment longer. I would love the privilege of praying for anyone who prayed that prayer there. If you made that commitment to, to God, if you prayed that prayer, then I'd love to pray for you. I'm just going to ask you to do a very simple thing. While everyone else's eyes are closed, could you indicate to me that you prayed that prayer? Indicate to me and to my prayer team. While everyone else's eyes are closed, just simply raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Anyone like that this evening? Thanks. Anyone else? You prayed that prayer. You made that commitment to God and you want me to pray for you, just quickly put your hand up and put it down again. I'm not going to call you to the front. <clears throat> I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to draw people's attention to you, but just where you're sitting, whenever else's eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer, just quickly put your hand up just now. And I'll pray for you. Anyone like that? I'll just wait for a moment longer. Anyone like that? Anyone else? Thanks, man. Anyone else? Okay. Lord God, thank you so much for these two precious people. Pray for these two precious people, Lord. I pray 
that God, you would into their lives. Let them know your forgiveness. Let them know your hope. Let them know your love. And I pray, God, from this moment forward, as they seek to follow you, that you'd empower them with your Holy Spirit every day to serve and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, let's stand to feet. We're just going to close the service by worshiping God.